0: Welcome to Warrington Bible Fellowship. I'm Associate Pastor Scott Farrell, and today I'm going to be preaching from Luke 7, verses 36 through 50. And today we're beginning a new series called Worship Is. And so today our question is, what is the root of worship? Well, it's not the music, is it? It's conviction, conviction that we need to be saved and that Jesus Christ is the only one who can save us. Be sure to like and subscribe to our channel so you won't miss a thing. God bless you. Well, before we begin, I want to point out uh, these two gentlemen here sitting with Leslie and Randy. Uh, my, one is my brother, my big brother, Jim, and the other is like a brother uh, to both Jim and me. This is Dillard Green, and we grew up together. Uh, we had a lot of fun together, uh, and so this weekend has been kind of like a, a big reunion. Uh, for us, and a joyful one. Uh, These are two of my heroes of the faith, and uh, so uh, after the service, I hope you will uh, talk to them, speak to them, welcome them, and be be a little careful around my brother because he's sensitive about the fact that he didn't get the looks of the family, but uh, he's learned to deal with it. Well, yeah, yeah, there we go. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I remember that too. I remember that too. <laughs> so it's good to be together. And it's good to be together with you, uh, whether you're here or online. Uh, welcome in the name of the Lord. Uh, it's time for us to meditate on the Word of God together. Uh, so I want to invite you to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 7. We're going to be in verses 36 through 50. Uh, focusing on 38, 37 and 38. Now, uh, we have recently finished uh, the book of Esther, uh, so from today uh, on for a while, I'll do a new a occasional or periodic series uh, when I have the opportunity to stand here uh, in the pulpit, uh, this time on a topic that is probably more dear, near and dear to us than we realize, and that subject is worship, worship. There is perhaps no more unifying or divisive subject in the church today than worship. The last 50 years or more have seen substantial changes uh, in what our worship services look like, and that's because our attitudes about worship have changed so much over the years. Much of that change has centered around Music. When we think of music, we think of worship. When we think of worship, we think of music. That's our our tendency, especially in our culture because music is such a central part of our lives in general, anyway. Uh, But in the past, traditional uh, hymns and classical music were the staple, uh, accompanied by organs and even in some churches uh, by orchestras. Uh, Jim Dillard and I grew up in a church uh, that had a, a wonderful. Uh, organ. It wasn't an electric one. It was the air-powered one, and boy, it had a magnificent sound. I didn't really appreciate it uh, as, as much then as I, as I do now. Uh, but then in the 1960s, uh, there, there began to rise up a sort of a new way of thinking about church and about the worship service, and one that many believed uh, was more like the early church. Worship services became less formal, And along with it, with the uh, uh, changes happening in the culture, came a new genre of Christian music, Christian rock. And that was an abomination to many people. Uh, If you're old enough to remember that, uh, you remember uh, how uh, rock music was considered the devil's music, and now we're playing it in church. And so I want to quote to you a song written by the late ne- ne- Larry Norman. He was, he's considered a sort of the father of contemporary Christian music. And uh, he, he was around in the 60s and the 70s especially. And one of his songs reflects the attitude of the time. And so let me just read these lyrics to you. I won't try to sing it for uh, your safety. Uh, but... I want the people to know that he saved my soul, but I still like to listen to the radio. They say rock and roll is wrong. We'll give you one more chance. I say I feel so good I got to get up and dance. I know what's right. I know what's wrong. I don't confuse it. All I'm really trying to say is why should the devil have all the good music? I feel good every day because Jesus is the rock and he rolled my blues away. Isn't that an awesome line? I ain't knocking the hymns. Just give me a song that has a beat. I ain't knocking the hymns, but he really kind of is. Just give me a song that moves my feet. I don't like none of those funeral marches. I ain't dead yet. (laughs) Well, that just illustrates what uh, the last... 50 years or so has been like in the church. There's been an ongoing debate, especially about music and what our worship services should sound like, and we refer to these as the worship wars. Uh, This is a conflict between the proponents of a traditional style of worship and the proponents of a contemporary style. But you see, the problem isn't that we have differing opinions about what a worship service should look and sound like, because there are biblical arguments for both. Even among traditional denominations, after all, all, there are marked differences in the content of worship services, right? Most of which are easily justified by Scripture, just as more contemporary styles of worship are justified biblically with an emphasis on singing, for instance, as the central part of the worship service. But it seems lately that some churches, at least, are pushing the envelope a bit too far in their zeal to be relevant. This is an effort to attract and hold the attention of seekers who are not believers and new believers, I recently read, and this is true, I saw, actually saw the video, I'm not going to share it with you, but but I, I recently saw uh, where one church had, had a group of, uh, of about maybe half a dozen people dress up as stormtroopers from Star Wars, and they danced, and they danced with some moves that would make your mother blush, and this was happening in a church. It was incredible. I mean, even if they weren't dancing in a suggestive way, it was still horrible. That doesn't belong in a church. Other churches are singing secular music, like ACDC's Highway to Hell. Do you remember that song? Songs by Taylor Swift and U2 and Coldplay and all, you know, all kinds of the pop music. And they're doing this to to try to be relevant. But of course, all that does is tell people that the Bible isn't really that relevant, but we know otherwise, I hope and pray. But the point is, is it seems like in especially American culture, we've reached a new level of confusion about what worship is and who it's for. What is acceptable to us seems to be more and more important, and so much so that it's more important than worship that's acceptable to God. And yes, you heard me right. There is acceptable worship to God and worship that is counterfeit to God. Hebrews 12 verses 28 and 29 declares this, therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. This doesn't say, therefore let us be grateful that that they played the songs that I liked this Sunday. Therefore, let us be grateful for what? For receiving the, a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship. You see, we, we, find, we, we know Christ. We come to know Christ, and we come to saving faith in Christ. And so now we have not only been received into this kingdom, but we also receive the kingdom as well. And thus, let us offer to God not just any old worship, not just anything that we want to do, but acceptable worship. And how? With reverence and awe. And why? Because our God is a a teddy bear in the sky, And he loves us so much, he wants to give us everything that we want to make us happy. No. We worship with reverence and awe, for our God is what? A consuming fire. That's why we worship him with reverence and awe. Because he is a great God. And he is the one who Jesus said could take away our souls. Who could send us to the place of eternal fire where we would experience his eternal wrath. And so we must never forget that about God. Yes, he is loving. He is full of grace. He is so full of mercy. But that's what magnifies his grace is because he is a God who judges us. And yet he has judged us to be worthy because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And so it's the, the, it's the acceptable kind of worship that I want to focus on in this series, though. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time trashing other, you know, churches or criticizing them uh, who I believe worship in an unacceptable way. Because how do we know the real thing? It's by knowing the real thing, right? We don't go around and, studying, and study all the fakes that are out there because we would, we would exhaust ourselves. And that wouldn't tell us what is genuine and real and acceptable to God. So what we want to do in this series is to clear our heads, to clear our hearts and our minds, and we want to find out what worship actually is, and hence the name for this series, Worship Is... because it's many things, just like the fruit of the Spirit is a a list of eight or nine things, but it's a singular fruit. Okay? It's all of, the, the, all of those things, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. It's all of those things at once. It isn't that we just get to pick different fruit that we like and go, oh, well, you know, I'm not really good with gentleness. No. The fruit of the Spirit is all of those things. Well, worship is a lot of things. That It encompasses a lot of things. But the important thing For us to remember is that worship is not something that we receive from the front of the room on Sunday morning. It just isn't, either from the pastor or the band. Yes, those things can inspire us. God can use those things, and I pray that He does every Sunday, but that isn't what gives us an attitude of worship. Worship is not a mood. Worship is an attitude toward God that you already have through saving faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, worship is a response to God. It's not a response to the band. It's not a response to me. I'm just a guy and an imperfect one at that. Worship is your response to the true and living God. Now, Pastor John MacArthur defines worship like this. Worship is the heart of going up toward God in gratitude and thanksgiving for all that God has done. That's worship. Worship is acknowledging God to be who He is revealed to be in Scripture. It is acknowledging what God has done and in particular that He has saved us, redeemed us, given us eternal life, and it is expressing gratitude to God. So to build on the idea that that worship is a response to God, it's an expression uh, to God of our not only adoration, but our complete devotion to our Lord. But that worship is given in gratitude and thanksgiving. It is acknowledging uh, who God is, not who we define Him to be, but who he defines himself to be in the Word of God. It's acknowledging what he's done through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so something I want you to notice is that John MacArthur doesn't mention the worship music. He doesn't mention a worship experience, because worship isn't really an experience. It's an expression. It's a response to God. Worship is is just embedded in our new nature, isn't it? That's the way it ought to be, and we are made new. Why? To restore us to a right relationship with God, to restore us so that we can worship Him acceptably, appropriately, and in a way that is worthy of Him. And so, Speaking through Moses, God defines worship even better than I or John MacArthur. I know that surprises you. Uh, Deuteron- that was a joke. <laughs> Deuteronomy uh, chapter 10, beginning in verse 12. And now, Israel, what does the Lord God, Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in His ways, to love Him, to serve your Lord, serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. And so, in other words, worship is knowing and loving God for who He is and then doing what He says, right? And that, that involves our whole lives. But you see, For us to do what he says, to to obey him and to to worship God, we've got to realize that this desire to worship him comes from somewhere, doesn't it? There's a root to our worship. And so today, we're going to consider the fact that worship is conviction. Worship is conviction. As we begin this series today, we're going to start by answering a very important question. What is the root of of worship? We've already found out it's not the band and it's not, it's not the preacher. What is the root of worship? Well, we're going to answer that question by revisiting a passage from Luke that Pastor John uh, preached on uh, in July of last year, Luke 7, verses 37 through 50. He called his sermon, The Harlot and the Holy Man, and I think that's a great title. The truth that he taught us in that message is that humility draws us closer to Jesus. Amen. Jesus is, after all, the one who expressed humility perfectly. Pastor Kavakis showed us the contrast between the attitude of the harlot or the prostitute who washed Jesus' feet with her tears and, and her expensive perfume. The contrast between her and Simon, who is this proud Pharisee who invited Jesus over as a VIP to his house uh, to question him and to see, uh, you know, if he was a good enough prophet or or whatever he was. He was skeptical about Jesus. Now, the one uh, who receives salvation and forgiveness in this story, of course, is not Simon. It's this humble prostitute. Simon was too busy thinking that he didn't need forgiveness, and therefore he didn't need salvation. He didn't need to be saved from any, anything because he was a man of status, and, well, he had religion, And he was following everything. He was a Pharisee, so he was following everything to the dot and tittle and then some. And so he thought that that's what saved him. But at the end of this story, Jesus declares forgiveness of sins for the prostitute. And he even says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. But he doesn't say that to Simon, does he? He doesn't say that to Simon. Simon because Simon's faith was in himself to follow the law as perfectly as he could, which of course was very imperfect at best. And I love what Pastor John said about this in in his sermon, The Harlot and the uh, Holy Man. It's important to see that this forgiveness is not based on the physical acts of the woman, but on the heart that motivates these acts. Everything she did was out of her love and regard for who Jesus is. Well, there it is. That's the launching point for our consideration of this passage today through the lens of worship. Everything she did was out of her love and regard for who Jesus is. That ought to be our marching orders for life, shouldn't it? Everything we do ought to be out of our love and regard for who Jesus is. In other words, we're talking about her worship, her worship. What characterized her worship is humility. And so as we, re- we revisit this story to find out what the root of her worship is, we're going to simply focus on her and what she did in uh, verses 37 and 38. We're going to answer our question, What is the root of worship by looking at who she is and what she does and then why she does it? And so allow me to read just the the two verses we're going to focus on today, verses 37 and 38. This is the word of the Lord, brothers and sisters. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, And standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. May God add his blessing to the reading and the hearing and the understanding of his word. Well, let's look first at who she is. In verse 37, this woman who is not named, she is not Mary as, as uh, some people have thought uh, through the ages, uh, she's just an unnamed woman. Only God knows her name and she is worshiping him now, that's for sure. But she isn't named, she's described in the passage in verse 37 as a woman of the city who was a sinner. Now, the language here that Luke is using, he's using this very carefully, he's making it clear that the woman is a prostitute. A woman of the city is a street prostitute. This is exactly what uh, the readers of Luke's uh, gospel would have understood when they read this. They knew perfectly well uh, who she was. And so, prostitutes in those days in the Roman Empire were slaves. And they had no choice about the matter, none whatsoever. They were forced into slavery. Nothing has changed, has it? We're all familiar with that horror called human trafficking in our day and in our world now. It's going on far more than any of us realize. It's a terrible evil. But in the New Testament era, it was kind of like organized human trafficking, is culturally acceptable in a sense. In the New Testament era, it was relatively common for women to be sold into slavery by their fathers because they needed the money. They were desperate for cash, and this was a way to get it. Roman law did allow for the father to sell his daughter. This is just so weird to talk about, isn't it? But this is what happened. This is what happened when people were desperate for money. Roman law did not allow for the father to sell his daughter with a, uh, did allow for for him to sell his daughter with a clause that would stipulate that uh, she could not be forced into prostitution by her new owner. But this was rarely done because the catch was that the price of selling her would drop like a rock because she wouldn't be able to earn as much money for her new owner. And so, most women who were sold into slavery were not sold with this kind of protection. And so, once they were forced into prostitution, there was no turning back. They could never abandon it. You never hear of a former prostitute in the New Testament. If you find one, let me know, but I, I, it's not there. And so, like her fellow street prostitutes, this woman who is about to approach Jesus this was the state of her life. She had very little money for herself. She lived in absolute squalor and had a short life expectancy. And so you can imagine what a sad and horrific life she's living. She knows that what she's doing is sinful, but she has no control over whether she participates. doesn't matter whether she wants to do this or not. And so she must have felt just filthy, thoroughly unworthy. I I can only imagine. You uh, who are women can imagine it far more than I can, but this is, it's just awful. She was an object to be used. That's who she was. And needless to say, she's a broken human being. She's used and abused, and what she needs is hope What she needs is life. And that's why when she hears that Jesus is at Simon the Pharisee's house, I can just envision her almost running to get there. And so that's who she is. That's who she is. It's a terrible, terrible existence that she is experiencing but she knows where to find hope. She knows where to find life. She knows where to find peace. She knows who can restore her soul, who can even restore her to worship because, you see, she wouldn't even be able to go to the temple and worship like everybody else because she was a prostitute. But she's heard about Jesus and she knows who she is. So what does she do? What does she do when she gets there? Well, maybe the most remarkable thing is that this woman shows up at the Pharisee's house. When was the last time you were that anxious to come to church? Not that this is where you, the only place where you can find God, but when was the last time you couldn't wait to get here, to hear the testimony, to, to worship with your brothers and sisters at the foot of the cross, and to bring him glory for what he's done? This should excite us to do this. And so this woman is, is eager to get there. Now, this isn't to say that she crashed the party in an inappropriate way. Life was more public uh, than it is in our culture today. If you, if you just walked up to somebody's house who was having a party and let yourself in, uh, the next visitor would be the police to carry you away, right? You know, so, but, the, but things were different then. People could show up, especially with this VIP coming and all of that. People would be interested to hear what this Jesus would have to say and hear the conversation between him and Simon. And, but this is still a place where this woman, poor woman, is not exactly going to be a welcome guest by any means. Noses would wrinkle at the sight of her. People would be looking down her, their noses judge, judgmentally toward her. They would roll their eyes in disgust, especially when they saw what she was about to do. And, and this would, was certainly Simon's attitude as he wonders whether Jesus realizes who she is. In verse 39, he said to himself, Simon says to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner the audacity of it. And so she goes to Simon's house not to find out who Jesus is, but to worship him. And I think that's because clearly she's either seen Jesus before and heard him preach or or maybe she's, she's at least heard about him and she's believed when she heard about him. Maybe she heard about how Jesus spoke to another broken woman, the woman at the well. The first one, as Jimmy said, to whom Christ revealed himself. And maybe that's what really struck this woman's heart, this prostitute, is that he told these things to a woman and a Samaritan woman. Maybe he'll receive me. And so Jesus in John four ten, this is the passage that Wayne read a little bit ago. I apologize, we must have a that mic cord over there we'll have to replace. But here, we'll hear it a little more clearly. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Wow. And And then Jesus goes on, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, looking at the well, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And Jesus even said this to that woman at the well, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman at the well said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you, and he. And so maybe, maybe that's what this prostitute had heard, that he is the Messiah. And as we watch what she does, it becomes clear that she knows he's the Messiah. She knows that she doesn't have to go to the temple to try to worship because she won't be allowed anyway she knows that she can worship at the feet of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And so back to our passage, this street prostitute, lowly in the eyes of everybody in her culture, to the Romans and to the Jews, she knows that there's something about Jesus. And so do you remember that moment in your life when you realize there is something to Jesus? He's not just a Bible character. He is alive and well. You know, Jim and Dillard, I think the, the, that moment for me was one of those many times that we recited the Nicene Creed on Sunday during church. You know, the Bible wasn't taught thoroughly and sometimes even inaccurately in our church. And so I, didn't, I, didn't, I wasn't steeped in the Word of God but this creed taught me what the Scriptures say. You see, I had heard about Jesus. And so I want to read to you from my hymnal here, the ones, one of those that we were using. This is the Nicene Creed. I better put my glasses on to read this. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible. "...and was incarnate by the Holy Ghost of the Virgin Mary, and was made man, and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day He rose again according to the Scriptures, and He ascended into heaven." and sitteth at the right hand of the father and he shall come again with glory to judge both the quick and the dead whose kingdom shall have no end and i believe in the holy ghost the lord the giver of life who proceedeth from the father and the son and who with the father and the son is worshipped and glorified who spake by the prophets and i believe in one holy catholic that is universal and apostolic church I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. That's what taught me about who Jesus is. And so you can imagine that this hearing about Jesus is what taught this prostitute about him. And I remember receiving this truth with joy and, and, and thanksgiving, receiving this, this truth and these facts about who Christ is and the grace of our mighty God. And I'm sure it was the same truth that drew you to Christ because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change with our moods. The God of the Bible is and ever shall be. Amen? And so it was the same truth that drew you to Christ. Do you remember that excitement of first knowing him? And are you living in that excitement today? I pray that you are. Because Jesus is real. And so, this is what the woman in our passage is experiencing. Look at what her response is to knowing Jesus. She, she's like compelled by her desire to worship Him, to go to the Pharisee's house where she's not going to be welcome. And she brings a jar of ointment that's worth a year's wages and she goes straight to the feet of Jesus who is reclining at the table. She's much like that woman we read about uh, elsewhere who who's strained just to touch the hem of our Lord's garment in Luke chapter 8. <coughs> Excuse me. And so in verse 38 of our passage, and standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Notice that she's careful not to claim a right to disturb the, the dinner party, all right? She doesn't come in there going, where's Jesus? Everybody be quiet. Where is he? I need to get to him. No. She comes in humbly, quietly, She doesn't intrude further except to the feet of Jesus. She doesn't say a word. She doesn't interrupt. But her actions speak loudly. Her tears speak not of distress or bereavement, but perhaps sorrow for her sin. But these are tears of a woman who has found the great relief of peace of having her dignity restored by this great man who has received her into the kingdom of God. And she's filled with great affection for the Lord. Is that what drives your worship? Is that what drives your worship of Jesus? Do you come here on Sunday expecting the music or the preaching to give you a mood of worship? Or do you come into this place because you already know repentance? You already know that the wages of sin is death and the true peace in knowing Christ. Do you know that peace? That you have been restored to the Father. You see, we were once slaves too, weren't we? Just like this prostitute. We were slaves to sin. But now we are slaves to Christ, which means we are truly free. I love the example that Jimmy gave us during catechism about the dog and a stray dog doesn't belong to anyone and is a stray. But now that we have been received by Christ, we belong to Him. And so this woman weeps. She weeps. Her tears fall onto Jesus' feet, and this, this produces a chain reaction on her part. And so to dry his feet, she wipes them with her hair, kind of unintentionally cleaning his feet from the dust of his journey. And then this leads to her kissing Jesus' feet and pouring this ridiculously expensive ointment on them. This is intimate and very personal worship, and it's extremely humble worship, as Pastor John pointed out. She's washing his feet. This was a very menial task that only the lowliest of slaves would do in that culture, but she's putting her love of Christ on display before a crowd who already judges her, but now is most likely going to judge her even more harshly because she has dared to do this. How often do we worry about being judged harshly by our culture because we have dared to love the Lord? You know, when I was in college, I would go to Bible studies. I was part of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, and I would go to, go to uh, uh, college with, uh, I'll use this since it has a title on the front, but uh, pretend this is a Bible, and I would go, go to uh, these Bible studies, but I would carry my Bible like this. I didn't want anybody to see that I was carrying a Bible. Uh, I was still so young in my faith that I was embarrassed by Christ. How do we do that ourselves? Or are we as bold as this woman who just wants to worship Jesus and nothing else matters? Maybe the idea of kissing the feet of, of Jesus is strange to you, but Do you find yourself waiting for Sunday to sing some songs and listen to a sermon and call that worship? Or do you humbly bow before him every single day realizing that all of your worth comes from him and that everything you do should put your love of Jesus Christ on display? So here's a thought to kind of get this in perspective. What do you think you're going to do the day that you see him face to face in glory? I guarantee you it's not going to be casual. I guarantee you it's not going to be like, hey, Jesus, good to see you. No. Thinking about that should teach us what our worship here on earth should look like. Something like it will in heaven, as a matter of fact. While we might not have the opportunity today to weep on Jesus' feet, Paul beautifully describes what our worship should look like. I appeal to, this is Romans 12, beginning in verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Hear that word again, acceptable. Acceptable which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. And he hasn't even mentioned a worship service yet, has he? You see, God is worthy of our complete devotion. He's worthy of our reverence and awe. He is worthy of weeping at His feet out of profound gratitude and thanksgiving, isn't He? Isn't He? (laughs) Amen. You know, there's an old song. uh, It's an old-time song that talks about shaking Jesus' hand when we see Him in glory. Well, brothers and sisters, I don't think that's an acceptable picture of worship at all. Because Jesus isn't our equal. Yes, He came to earth as one of us. Amen? He he became a human. And as such, He is a friend of sinners. But He's also Lord of all. He is the one who paid the price for our sins. Who endured the unmitigated wrath of God for our sins. And He deserves worship of reverence and awe. He is the only one who deserves that. And he even deserves worship that is extravagant. And that's exactly why this prostitute takes this crazy expensive ointment worth a year's wages, which was intended, by the way, for the head, more as an adornment for the head. But she uses it instead on our Lord's feet. Her worship is is not only intimate and personal, but it's very extravagant. Very extravagant. And so that's what she does. We know who she is, and we know what she is doing. But why? I mean, why? When you get down to the heart of it all, why? Well, she worshiped Jesus because at the heart of worship, the root of worship is conviction. Conviction. Conviction of the truth, conviction that Jesus is the Son of God, that He is eternally begotten of the Father, and that He came in the flesh, and she could, she could touch His feet and kiss them. So she knew that, but that He is God Himself who has come in the flesh, who humbled Himself so that we might be reconciled to the Father. In the words of Deuteronomy, of God in Deuteronomy through Moses, it's only when we fear the Lord that we worship Him. and An unbeliever simply cannot worship God because they don't know Him if they don't know Christ. That's why we want them to know Christ, right? So they can worship God, so they can be reconciled. But without Christ, and this is the thing that I heard often that we heard some growing up. Uh, In our church, there were people who didn't believe in the divinity of Christ. But without Christ, the Christ of the Bible, we cannot truly comprehend God with the reverence and awe that Hebrews calls acceptable worship. Because if we try to worship without the Christ of the Bible, then we're trying to worship a God who doesn't exist, a God who who didn't really give His Son to die for our sins, who didn't really reconcile us to God. We're attempting to worship a God who is a false God. And that God does not exist because it's false. But what this woman knew and embraced was that Christ had the divine power and the right to forgive her of her sins No one else was telling her that. The Pharisees certainly weren't. They were just heaping more and more things on her and she's already at the bottom. And as such, Christ had the divine right to give her life, life everlasting And so, brothers and sisters, do you know that you need Jesus? If you've been a Christian for a long time, you may have lost sight of that. It's easy for it to happen. We can, well, you know, I go to church. I do good things. I even worship in the ways that I conduct my life and and so on. But do you know that you need Jesus? Remember what it was like before you knew him. (laughs) Let him restore that excitement of following him. Let him restore the joy of coming in here with a group of believers and lifting his name on high. Do you know you need Jesus? Simon the Pharisee, he couldn't understand that because he wasn't convicted of his own sin. He didn't need a Savior. He didn't need the Messiah. But Christ not only received this poor, pathetic woman's worship but he declared her sins forgiven. Now most likely her life on earth remained absolutely horrible. Horrible. Because she could not escape her forced prostitution. That's a terrible reality. But now she belongs to Christ. That's why she's filled with joy and gratitude and why she is weeping at his feet because she knows that she has eternity to look forward to. And that's all going to come into sharp focus at the resurrection. But you see, we live in the yuck of this world too. When you go home today, your life is going to be largely the same. But she believed the promise of living water and eternal life. Do you? Do you? She knew Christ was her Messiah. She knew that he gave her worth, and so as Jimmy was talking about during our prayer for the, for the offering, he gave her back everything she had. Do you know that your worth comes from him and not yourself, not your good deeds? She received a peace, in the words of Paul, that surpasses all understanding. Do you want that peace? If you don't know the Lord, then receive Him. You've heard the good news today that He gives you eternal life. You've heard the good news that He is the one who gives your life worth, who gives you dignity. He is the one who can free you from the bond of slavery to sin and you can become a joyful slave to Him, which, is, which means that you willfully serve Him. That's what you can have in Christ. And so if your answer is yes, then our heartfelt worship can be just as, as beautiful and powerful as this lowly prostitute's. Conviction of the truth of who Christ is and who we are is at the root of our worship our conviction gives rise to our worship. Our conviction gives rise to our response of what Christ has done for us and for who he is. What ought we to do when we worship? Well, we're going to talk about that as we continue this series. We worship God in many ways. But those are simply expressions of our worship. We must be very careful not to mistake those things as worship itself. The root of our worship is conviction that God has saved us through His Son. As Colossians 1, beginning in verse 13 says, He, that is God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption. forgiveness of sins. Amen? Let's pray.